Uh, it's good to see you. I have a uh, coffee warning for you. If you try to sit down quickly, anybody, good news is it didn't stay on my shirt. Anybody see a problem? All of a sudden, uh, yeah, so I, it'll, it'll dry, I suppose. But uh, James was just getting to the men's group when I realized I had spilled coffee all over myself, and now I get to come up here. So, so exciting time. Welcome, welcome to church. Good luck with your coffee stains. We, uh, when, we, when we moved here years ago, we didn't change the carpet because we were just going to stain it with coffee anyway. And if we turn the lights down, you can't tell. But, uh, you know, in general, we try to keep it off of our pants. But good news, you can't see the shirt. Is be, it was all wet as well. So, I don't know. This is a first for me. Uh, 30 years of ministry. And I have to stand up in front of people with wet pants. Well, you know, you want to keep it, you want to keep it lively. Let's, uh, let's get prayed up. And, uh, and we'll go into this. The topic today is life satisfaction in all circumstances. Yeah, there you go. Let's get prayed up. Heavenly Father, thank you for being in this place. I am thankful that we get to have this time together. You know what brought us here. If we're deep down honest, this life is a challenge and we are seeking you whether we believe you're there or not, would you meet us here in this place? Would you speak our language? In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Are you good? Are you comfortable? Some of you don't believe me that you can go get snacks at any time. Uh, Gary and Sue, it's good to have you back. I recognize you. They spent uh, the summer in Hawaii, apparently lit it on fire on their way out. But, you know, we're not, we're not pointing fingers. I saw a lot of drone footage from Gary. Apparently there's a power line. I don't know. They'll track that down in the future, but Gary's from uh, Oregon and Phoenix, so that's what we expect. Okay, so maybe some of you saw this news story. So we're talking about a master class on life satisfaction, because you've got some stuff going on. I've got my mother-in-law coming on August 30th. As a person, she is now delightful. Physically, she's a wreck. I don't know that she should be traveling, but that's not what uh, apparently we're pointing out to her. So I would say, all in all, other than coffee, my life is going pretty well. All in all. But there are some things. Got a concussion a few months ago, went to the doctor this week, and he said, your capacity is at 70%, your endurance is at 15%. So if this sermon fades, I'm going to just blame that. But we all have some things going on. Can we get an amen? Life satisfaction when things are challenging. When life isn't meeting the circumstances we thought it would. Here we go. This new story from Texas. Peggy Jones was mowing her lawn 100 miles northeast of Houston, Texas last Tuesday when a snake fell from the sky and wrapped itself around her arm. The clinging reptile then struck at her face, she told KPRC-TV Houston. While the snake was gripping tightly to her forearm, a hawk suddenly swooped down from above and began attacking Jones attempting to wrest away the slithery serpent. The snake was squeezing so hard, Peggy said, and I was waving my arms in the air, and then this hawk was swooping down, clawing at my arm over and over. I just kept saying, help me, Jesus. How was your week? The hawk finally managed to secure the snake and fly away. By the way, you can look this up, and you will see that there's a big yard that she was mowing and that her arm really didn't look so good afterwards. You can also see an interview with her husband. And I want to give this guy uh, a lot of grace. 
maybe in hindsight he would have handled all this differently, but he was there, and I want to give him credit for that. Joan said her husband took her to the emergency room. No snake bite was found, but snake venom appeared to be on her glasses, which were damaged during the incident. The Silsby resident, Silsby, Texas resident, said people have told her she must be the unluckiest person alive to have both a snake and a hawk atta attack her at the same time. <laughs> However, she said, I feel like the luckiest person alive to have survived. She also said this wasn't her first encounter with a snake. She'd been bitten a few years ago. I just want to set the standard of what we're talking about when we say life isn't meeting our circumstances or expectations. I ride my bike on the Oro Valley Bike Trail all the time. I see rattlesnakes all the time. I'm on a bike. I've never had one wrapped around my arm. And uh, remember that bird attack from the sky that will make an appearance in a few minutes. So we're talking about this idea that we are made to create. The way we have life satisfaction and meeting and joy is we are here to create, which means we usually create to address a need, which could be interpreted as a problem. The reason why we create is because there is something we have to deal with. There has to be a problem first to solve. The first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and then the, if you're reading through in the beginning, baseball fans, in the big inning, and then you go to chapter 37 through 50, and it's about Joseph and his brothers who had a lot of problems. Joseph was 17 years old when he annoyed his older brother so much they sold him into slavery. I have three older brothers. I was talking to one yesterday. They have their complaints. They never thought, we've reached a time with Ted, we need to sell him into slavery and tell Dad that he died. I would say that's over the line. Joseph gets sold into slavery. They tell Dad, well, he's dead. Your favorite. He's dead. Now we've got Joseph in Egypt. Now, we can, you can arm wrestle over the dates later, but the pyramids have already been built. This is 3,500 years ago. Egypt has been, I think we classify as the world's first superpower for a thousand years at this point, and a lot of it's been built on slave labor. Joseph shows up as a slave, pretty intimidating. Fortunately for him, at the it's a strange couple of sentences to put back to back. Fortunately for him, comma, at the slave auction where he was sold, comma, he went to an Egyptian official. And he started low and he ended up running the household. And then after several years of doing a good job of running the household for an Egyptian high-ranking official, our pal Joey has a false accusation leveled against him and he gets thrown in prison in his mid-twenties. You can have a hawk attack you for lunch. You can have this. All of a sudden, our life, maybe this week, wasn't so bad. Now in his mid-twenties, and here we go. Book of Genesis. Going to do two chapters. We'll do a lot of three dots because, you know, donuts. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended Pharaoh, so Pharaoh put them in prison where Joseph was. Offended. It's a funny word, isn't it? You offend your boss, you end up in prison. We got some questions. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night. So have you ever heard this one? Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin said, when you move someplace new, it's Tucson. Nobody's from Tucson. There's like three that are from Tucson. 
When you move someplace new, the way you make a new friend, you start a new friendship, is you ask a small favor. This was Ben Franklin's advice 250 years ago. Ask a small favor. They feel good about helping you. Now, you don't say, give me your house, right? That would be a big favor, a small favor. Hey, where do you find is the best grocery store? What's your favorite restaurant? If you're looking for fresh fruit, where do you go? A small favor. And they're more inclined to ask you to reciprocate in time. When we first moved into Oral Valley, the uh, couple next door met us in the driveway and said, don't take it personally. It's not your kids. We don't like any kids. Well, it's going to be a problem for you because we have three of them. And they bounce over the fence, you know, on the trampoline, like to shout their greetings. And so first they spent a couple of grand to uh, build the, the wall up to the sky, kind of a weird suburban wall. It's, it's pretty tall. And uh, then when that didn't work, they... Uh, they moved, which worked out well for all of us. And then the new guy is from, is from the, um, the Bronx, and he met us in the driveway, the typical New York response. Apparently, it's just New Yorkers who live in that house. There's two Jews from Manhattan that had the house before us, so I guess that's all they can afford to buy, the, or that want to buy those houses are right there. And he said, we'll be good neighbors. Our dog doesn't bark. We don't throw loud parties. And Lou and I mostly have formed our friendship because we're both Yankees fans. We're out in the driveway when it's not going well. We're doing this. And that's mostly how we formed the friendship. Been a lot of that this year. A little, a little favor. So when the package gets delivered to the wrong house, when the kids throw the ball in the backyard, which happens a lot, we now have just a system. They go by, they wave at the ring camera, and they just go get the ball. It just works easier that way. A little favor, a little favor, a little favor. We have each other's house keys, a little favor, and all of a sudden you have what counts as a reciprocal friendship. That's what Ben Franklin's advice was. Okay, so we got Joey in jail here. An opportunity to build connection, built on trust, solving each other's problems. Good basis for a friendship. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied, because today he had dreams. Go ahead and tell me your dream. Now, I, think, I assume you're like most human beings, and if somebody wakes up in your house and said, boy, I had a weird dream last night, your next sentence is not, tell me about it. Your next sentence is, huh, we don't really want to hear each other's dreams because they get strange. In most of our dreams, if you had such a dream that you announced you had a strange dream, there was a moment where it was so strange you didn't want to include that detail. Pharaoh has this. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Joseph is doing the ultimate I know a guy, right? God can interpret your dream. Go ahead. I'll check with him. The chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. Now, the cupbearer, his whole job is to taste the wine and the food before Pharaoh because people on occasion are trying to poison Pharaoh. You think that might be a good gig to be Pharaoh, and then you realize people are trying to kill you because they want that good gig. And so you have a guy whose whole job is to taste the food and drink the wine first, and then, okay, that seemed fine, and now you can have it. Make sure it's not poisoned. Pharaoh trusted this guy with his life. So somehow the cupbearer got sideways with Pharaoh. Would just backwash? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What happened? How do you mess this job up? Turns out it was poison? I don't know. But Pharaoh trusts him with his life, and now this guy's in prison telling his fellow prisoner what he dreamed last night. So in my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. Got an engineer joke for you in a minute. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. 
I don't know if you know this, but uh, I'm a citrus farmer. We have a grapefruit tree and an orange tree, and they produce fruit, and we eat them. So it's really just side gig to be here for me because citrus farmer. So this guy is the cupbearer, and he's dreaming about grapes. So here's my engineering joke for you. An engineer, a doctor, and a teacher all get sentenced to die by the guillotine. The guillotine mis misfires. It jams. Put the neck down there. You go to pull the cord. Nothing happens. So the doctor goes over here. They sentence the doctor to life. The teacher jammed. Doesn't work. I don't know, boss. Doesn't work. All right. Well, now you have life in prison. And then the engineer, and the engineer says, you know, from here I see the problem. If you give me some pliers, not that. That's it. That's so I can't tell jokes. I don't know. Some of us are always at work. That's the cupbearer. Responsible for Pharaoh's wine is dreaming about grapes. Verse 11. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said, this is what the dream means. The three branches represent three days. First rule in the prediction business, pick far enough out that people will forget. Three days is not nearly far enough. Ten years, plus or minus, that's what we're shooting for, right? What's going to happen in ten years? Interest rates are going to collapse, the housing rate collapses, car prices will be free, whatever. But go ten years out. No, three days. Three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cup bearer. Pretty good, pretty good news. For this next part, notice one of the keys to life's satisfaction, besides doing what you love, right, the engineer and the guillotine, besides just naturally doing what you love, is the relational aspect that we diminish as time goes on is incredibly important. We think we want to be isolated. But the studies show that you go to any big city and you say to people, okay, your job for this study is to talk to someone on the train. Even introverts find they enjoyed the train ride more if they talk to somebody, have other people help you. Ben Franklin said this is a way to start a new friendship. Ask for a small favor, the opportunity to build a connection built on trust, solving each other's problems. So what is it you want? A job? You want to meet somebody? Want to, before you buy a car, who do you know that might have some car advice? Or a car. Housing advice, if you don't have a house currently, Talk to everybody older than you that's bought a house and get their, get their advice. Who do you know? Who do you know with connections? Start asking. And then this one's really important. Be the type of person that they would want to help. Be the type of person that they would want to help. Don't just be annoying. Be thoughtful. Can't just call Bill Gates and say, I got some computer questions. Verse 14, Joseph. If you look through all the lists, always, what do people who seem happy, what do they do? One of the keys is they focus on gratitude because there's always something crazy. Hopefully there's not a snake wrapped around your arm, but there's always something crazy going on. But what is good that's going on? Rick Warren, the minister in Southern California, retired last year, said, we think of life as a roller coaster of up and downs, but we're better equipped to deal with life as a train track. There's always something crazy. And there's always something good. And if we remember that, we will enjoy the adventure a lot more. 
So Joseph, who's been in prison for a long time now, says, Anne, please remember me to the cupbearer and do me a favor when things go well for you. In three days when you get restored, mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place, this place being prison. As I understand it, most people in prison claim to not have done anything deserving prison. Joseph actually hadn't. And he rarely mentioned this. He's not consumed with bitterness, just practically speaking, like Bugs Bunny on the rocket to Mars. Get me out of here. I don't, I don't belong here. It's starting to be countered in years. Verse 15, for I was kidnapped from my homeland by my brothers, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. And now there's some dark Bible comedy about the level of the lady mowing the lawn and having a snake wrap around her arm, and then the hawk coming mad at the lady to reclaim his lunch. You know, pal, you're the one that dropped the snake. You know why you're mad at her. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastry stacked on my head. So first of all, I'd like to point out how biblical donuts are, right? Can I get an amen? It's painting a picture here that we have to take a moment to appreciate. Now, I don't know how you would transport baked deliciousness you have just created. My first Christmas with the hot chick, she turned her kitchen into a baked goods production factory. It's kind of a sight to behold. I already wanted her. I was willing to move back from London just from the first meeting. But then we had a, a student gathering, and the hot chick walks in with the most grandma casserole basket I'd ever seen and if I could have fallen more in love with her at that moment, I would have. I'd never seen anybody our age who could produce a casserole. Now, I didn't really grow up in casserole country, but that wasn't the point. She walked in with a, with a, with a glass casserole dish encased in a basket with, with basket material handles. It had an old lady, like, tea towel over it. She carried it in like this. Like, yeah, that one. I, I already wanted that one. But she shows up to a potluck where most people would just bring a can of beans and set it on the counter. That was the level of potluck we had going on. And she had showed up with, I think it had some kind of crumb thing on the top. I don't know. I didn't eat it. It wasn't, I don't eat casseroles. But I was just so stunned. And then Christmas rolls around. I'm trying to get her attention. I'm planning to propose on New Year's Eve. It's a couple of weeks before Christmas. Barely, she says, oh, yeah, you can come over. So I go over, and there's not even a chair to sit on. Her whole, it was just a it, Santa Claus. It was just a Christmas baked goods production factory, which continues to this day. But I'd like to stress she did not deliver her baked goods in a basket on her head. Because no matter where you go outside, there are birds. Remember Peggy Jones in Texas? 17. This is the, the dream. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh. Pharaoh wanted sugar. He had created the pastries. As the chief baker, this is his job. But the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. You had one job, chief baker. One job. One. 
your job title. You baked the delicious pastries. You can't figure out how to deliver delicious pastries without having them stolen by birds. If you, if you got a notice from Amazon that said your delivery has been delayed by birds, would you reorder? No. Steve Jobs said true genius is ship. We have to produce. Doesn't do anybody any good to bake the perfect donut and then let it get stolen by a raven. Doesn't do anybody any good to invent a computer and never deliver it for someone's use. Isn't Amazon's delivery system their genius? You had your baked goods stolen by a bird? What is wrong with you? Delayed by birds. Verse 18, Joseph said, this is what the dream means. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole for being stupid. You had sugar stolen by a bird. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. I, I, I wanted the dream interpretation you gave that guy. Yeah, well, he can manage birds. I appreciate the baker's not good at his job, but you've got to feel bad for him. He's already in prison. He wants to go back creating delicious sugarness. Verse 20, Pharaoh's birthday came three days later. I'll just tell you, wine boy was restored. Baker boy, yeah, it didn't go so well. He would have preferred a snake on his arm. Verse 23, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. One of the most painful things to experience in adult life, includes you people, once you reach a certain age, past eight, is betrayal. Someone you thought was on your side then tells a lie, acts out a lie. Betrayal is so painful because you trusted someone and then they ruined the trust and now what are you supposed to do? Try to make sense of it. Well, that was them, but what did I do? Do I have to take responsibility for their actions? Can I trust anybody else? It's brutal. That's how Joseph ended up in prison. Now that he's in prison, he said to the royal cupbearer, you're going to be restored to Pharaoh. Don't forget about old Joey. However, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Two full years later, in prison, every day, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. Now, we won't go into all the details, but if you get an old Jewish rabbi with a hat, he will tell you, combine this with Psalm 81. I think in Psalm 81, there's a mention of this. It says, Joseph got a voice, and the voice told him, Pharaoh is about to tell a dream that even he couldn't tell all the weirdness about. That's what an old rabbi would tell you, and that's why Pharaoh is so enthusiastic about Joseph. Because Psalm 81 because Psalm 81 implies that Joseph says to Pharaoh, oh, I didn't think you were going to say standing on the bank of the river because Pharaoh actually dreamed he was standing on the Nile River, but that is too crazy. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. You can read Psalm 81, make your own choices, verse 8. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dream, so he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell, them what, could tell him what they meant what the dreams meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Here's the thing. Make yourself useful, me included. Make ourselves useful 
And when someone needs us, respond. We would like to always be considered useful by everybody. But you know what? That's not true. There's something you do really well that when somebody needs it, they want you. And you have to respond at that time. So Joseph's been waiting for two years. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, they couldn't tell him what they meant. And finally, the king's uh, cupbearer spoke up. Why did he speak up with us? Because it made him look good. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. What did old Ben Franklin say? The best way to start a friendship is to ask for a favor and reciprocate. Verse 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. The cupbearer's already got sideways with Pharaoh once. It's a bit of a risk. It's a bit of a risk to say, I think this guy can help you. Because if it doesn't work out, the cupbearer could be in trouble again. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. Here's an important sentence. After he shaved and changed clothes, prison Joseph was a little stinky. You could have played uh, hipster or homeless with Joseph at this point, right? Because what do you look like after he'd been in prison for a while, and then the whole dream thing happened, and then it was another few years. It's been a while. They cleaned him up. Joseph cleaned up well. Verse 15, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have heard when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph said, it's beyond my power to do this, but God, capital G, not your Pharaoh, Egyptian, little g gods, can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. And the rabbi from, verse, from Psalm 81 would say, Joseph came with the insight that only Pharaoh knew. And when Joseph said, oh, I thought, I'm surprised you said standing on the bank. Then Pharaoh knew what he was ta- that Joseph actually knew. Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. You go read the dreams in your own. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be, what's that word? Let's try this again. What's that word in Egypt? See, this is one of the things about satisfaction with life. We forget. That's why Rick Warren said it's a train track. There are challenges. There are things to be thankful for. If we view life as the ups and the downs, then we take this for granted, and down here we forget. And that's no way to live life. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of good years will be erased. Said it again. So, when you're at work, when you're with a person you care about, those may be the same, they may be different. When you're in your home, when you're talking to your spouse, when you're talking to your kids, when you're talking to your parents, when you're talking to a friend and you're trying to deal with a problem, you first have to raise the urgency as you present the problem. You, you got to say it. Pharaoh doesn't want his country destroyed. Pharaoh doesn't want people to forget the prosperity. Pharaoh doesn't want revolt coming after him. So Joseph said, people are going to forget the good times unless you plan ahead. So he raised the urgency. This is going to be a real crisis. Then, and this is crucial, solve the problem. If you're talking to your boss, if you're talking to your spouse, if you're talking to the kids, and you just present the problem, 
You're a critic. Nobody likes critics. And you know what else is wrong? You're thinking of somebody at work right now, aren't you? They are really good at pointing out what's wrong. And nobody likes them. Because this part is crucial. You need the idea to solve the problem, to address the problem. You need one or two or three. You're going to come up with three ideas. You've got to tell them what you think your favorite one the most likely is. I think the best idea is if you're going to present the problem, a solution might be really handy. Now, if you're in a teaching your kids process, you might just point out the challenge and let them come up with the solution. But if you're coming at your boss with a problem, if you just got cleaned up out of prison, you're going to Pharaoh, you don't say, oh, famine's coming. Terrible to be you. That's not going to end well. If you want the job, you want the promotion, you want the responsibility, you've got to come up with the solutions. Verse 33. Therefore, Pharaoh, notice therefore not and, and everybody's going to hate you. And the tax base is going to be gone. And there'll be no water. And your wife will be mad at you, right? You've presented the problem. Now you need a therefore. Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Big problem. Here's a big solution. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops, 20%, during the seven good years. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. 20% tax. Nobody likes that, but during prosperous times, you're more willing. Nobody in charge wants a revolt. Verse 36, that way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. If somebody's coming with seven years from now, it's all going to be bleak. You've got to then have a reasonable solution. It's all bleak and everything's got to change. Well, not everything is going to change. In order for you to be a leader who's respected and you bring people together, you have to have a reasonable solution. Verse 37, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. Mm, I like to eat. That's a good idea. Verse 38, so Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? The old rabbi would say what Psalm 81 tells us is Pharaoh knew he was filled by the Spirit of God because he knew what the dream was. Pharaoh, you weren't. Oh, I'm surprised you said you're standing on the bank. Joseph did not say in front of everybody, you liar. Your dream was you're on the water. Come on, you nut. That's not what Pharaoh said. Right? That's not what Joseph said to Pharaoh. He was very respectful. Oh, surprise me you said on the bank. Okay, go ahead. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you. Clearly, no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my courts, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. That's a good promotion right there. Verse 43, then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second-in-command, and wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. That's respect. Anybody remember how old Joseph was when he annoyed his brothers? 
17. Verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Part of our charm is we want all this resolved by Thursday. If we're really honest, we'd like it resolved by Tuesday, but we'll give you till Thursday. There are emergencies, right? Snake around the arm. There are emergencies that need to be addressed. But in general, we're here for a lifetime adventure. And it's really crucial to realize that this moment is preparing us for that one. When we're students, that's easy. Yep, I'm preparing for the job. But once we have the job, sometimes we forget we're still in a preparation mode. We don't have all the information, all the experience we need. We're still learning. We're still growing. Till our last breath, we want to keep learning and growing. Verse 47, as predicted, for seven years, the land produced bumper crops. Finally, Joseph stopped keeping track, keeping records, because there was too much to measure. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt... There was plenty of food. You keep reading. At one point, the Joseph brothers have to come to Joseph and ask him to buy food, and they don't recognize Joseph. Comedy. Comedy. How would you handle that? Joseph had a lot of fun with it. Made sure everybody ate, but he had a lot of fun. We quoted Ben Franklin earlier. Best way to make a friend, ask for a small favor. Now, Thomas Edison, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks a lot like work. Joseph was 17. Don't listen to this next part. Joseph was 17. He was an idiot. All right, come on back. And he annoyed his brothers, and his brothers overreacted and sold him into slavery. And then Joseph had to keep his wits about him, trusting that God was still at work. In our, dar- in our darkest moments, do we believe that God still has our best interests at heart and God is still at work? That will determine our life satisfaction. If we see this as a photo, this is it. It's the way it's always going to be. We miss the reality of life that we only see in hindsight that this is a movie. The Bible famously says there's a season for everything. You're in a tough season. It won't last. The downside is if you're in a good season, that won't last either. But hey, that's why we want to see this as a railroad track and not the up and down. You got a rough thing coming? Let's say your broken down mother-in-law is going to come sleep on your couch for a week. Just throwing out ideas. I don't know what you got going on. It's a week. If she falls down, it could extend, right? But that's a different story. It's temporary. This is temporary. Enjoy the good. Keep perspective in the challenge. Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, then he was a slave, then he was in prison for 13 of his 30 years. He was a slave and in prison. Brief moment there where he got to be in charge of a household as a slave. But he spent his time, those 13 years, creatively solving problems for other people. And they noticed, gave him credit, gave him more responsibility, more problems to solve. And he kept trusting God was at work everywhere he was. The way to succeed in the work world, here's the thing. My old Jewish dad would want you to hear this. Nobody has 
extra money. Nobody. If we put the net worth of some of you people up here, some of us would think you have extra money. But nobody has extra money. There's no such thing as extra money. It's not how we're wired. No extra money. The way you, give, you get someone else to give you their money is to solve their problem. The only thing extra people have are, are problems. Jesus said, take heart, in this world there will be trouble. And then he said, take heart, I've overcome the world. These aren't permanent. We think the key to life satisfaction is to consume. If I had a better car and a nicer house and a different place and, and better clothes and a new phone and the fancy watch that, I don't know, beats me. This watch is from 1952. I don't know. What are you going to do? We think if we just had the fancier stuff, consume. We want the new TV that has the 4K so that you can really see Peggy Jones's scars from the hawk attack. But then the neighbors down the street get the one where the actors come and act it out for you live, right? There's always, we think life satisfaction includes our ability to consume, but life satisfaction actually is our ability to produce more than we can consume. Life satisfaction is really important that we produce more than we consume. To think about how we're going to help the world, solve problems for the world, that's where satisfaction comes from. The master class in life satisfaction used the gifts and opportunities that God gave us to serve, to solve problems for God's other people. Will they always be thankful? No. Go out five times a week, clean up the homeless guy's trash. He leaves it under the tree. Why? I don't know. I've asked him. I don't know. I don't know. Means something to him that I clean up his trash. Pay good money for a dumpster back there. You're already out walking. I don't know. Is everybody going to appreciate what you do? No. I, because you solve someone's problem, will they say thank you? A lot of times they will. Life satisfaction comes from knowing. You took what God gave you, and you worked with it, and you trusted that God is going to use this bigger than I can imagine. Prisoner Joseph, don't forget about me when you go get restored there, cupbearer. Two years of nothing. You know how better you can get in two years? Yes, yes, we do, Ted. Yes, we do. Two years later, he's put in charge of everything. Oh, that's a long two years. Trust God is at work throughout our entire lifetime. Trust God is at work and that we are at work. You can't go to school and then go demand a job because your professor said so. You can't go to your boss and demand more money because your car payment's expensive. Because your wife said so. You can't go to somebody and demand more money because your mom said so. You deserve more, honey. Unless mom's writing the check, you've got to solve the problem. We've got to trust God is at work, and sometimes we've got to embrace the fact that on occasion, on occasion, the hawk's going to drop the snake on our arm. Can I get an amen? Let's get prayed up. Heavenly Father, would you work in this place? 
I know that people are here, they have things going on, and our biggest challenge is to trust you. Will we break through to trust you enough that our plan is good, but we walk around spilling coffee. We got plans that if we really knew where they would take us, we wouldn't want our own plan. Would, Would you give us the courage to embrace your plan, to do our part this day, to be your child in your world for as long as it lasts? Give us the ability to love those around us, even when they're not so lovable. Give us the ability to love ourselves when we're not so lovable. And if there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, that ABC approach to the relationship, A is to admit that we're sinners. We are building our own kingdom and sometimes checking in with you. But B, the better way is to believe that Jesus is the one who makes us worthy of the throne room of God. And when we live this life as a child of the King, What drops from the sky is less of a worry. See, is to choose to follow you, to choose to embrace being your child this day. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, amen.